Hey internet, I'm Simon Squibb, your host at the Good Luck Club podcast. Our mission is to help anybody out there that's thinking of starting a business do just that. Equally, if you've started a business and are struggling, maybe you need a little bit of inspiration and knowledge. And we hope by interviewing some of the world's most successful entrepreneurs and change makers that you'll get the knowledge you need to become the person you want and turn your business into that dream company. I personally have started 17 companies from scratch and have invested in over 65 startups. When I sat down and analyzed how I did it, I discovered a secret. It was all luck. I'm here to tell you, in my opinion, without luck, it ain't gonna work. Each week, I will discuss with my guests this theory and see if luck is a skill as I feel it is. I hope you enjoy our episode this week. Welcome to this week's episode of the Good Luck Club podcast. My guest this week is serial entrepreneur Peter Goodman, CEO and co-founder of Aventus Operating Systems. Peter, welcome. Thanks for having me. It's wonderful to have you here. I wonder if we could start off the podcast by you perhaps telling the audience a little bit about yourself. Yeah, certainly. Um, so yeah, I've sort of always um, started companies or been involved in companies since I uh, graduated university, which again, it's, it's scary. I've been out of university longer now than I, you know, in the, the, since I went there, which is quite, quite scary. Um, I look at the dates and it's about 25 years ago I went to university, which is very, very frightening. Um, and then, yeah, and so since then I've always sort of started companies, always really started companies around, I call it kind of the itch I can't scratch. So very much around things that frustrate me and people around me and then finding solutions that I can build technology around in a more recent time, certainly te- solving those problems with technology. And it's been, it's been what can be described as a very interesting journey to where we are today. And so um, your company today, what does it focus on? So, so Aventus is, a, is an insurance operating system. So we're, we're effectively bringing digital democratization to the insurance industry. It, making it affordable, really, for the smaller companies to to uh, really digitise their processes and transform themselves. But obviously, you know, for, from that process, insurance is quite an older industry, and it, it really stemmed from a frustration that I think we all have when buying insurance is not as easy as it should be. And it was a, a solution that we started off with to to sort of really enable that that to be a lot easier. And it's been it's been a really good a really good journey. Well, I was just reading you just raised two point six million pounds in a recent round, right? Yeah, just before, so we, we actually closed it just before Christmas, in the Christmas period, and then we announced it just after. Obviously, as timing goes, it couldn't have really been much better with what's gone on in the world to, to, to enable, you know, to ensure that you had some, some, some liquidity and cash for, for what, what was deemed to be quite a tough period for most people, I would imagine. And I, I'm um, introduced to you by Outward. I feel like I should give them a shout out, Devin and the crew there, that are one of the um, investors in you guys. Indeed, yeah, it was great. The, the first time I've, I've worked with those guys uh, on a business, and yeah, it's been, it's been a really good relationship so far. It's great to hear. Well, I always like to start off by asking you perhaps what success means to you, Peter. Yeah, sure. I think it's changed, if I'm honest. I think I think over time, success, is, success sort of changes. I think initially, everyone kind of wants to, they think success is money. And I think I had the same sort of view very early on in my sort of entrepreneurial career where I actually, you know, was, was striving to, have stuff I didn't have as a child, perhaps, or have stuff that I wanted that I saw other people have. And I think it just changes as you grow older. You kind of realize the importance of, you know, six, determining success by money is, doesn't actually provide the happiness success should provide. 
Um, and I think that's a change now. I think actually for me, you know, it's been it's been as much around solving problems and proving. It sounds a bit cliche that, that I'm right in my solution. Um, it always still amazes me that you can build a product from scratch, have no customers from scratch, um, and then build something over time that someone actually pays you money for. Uh, I think it's quite a really satisfying uh, way to do that. But I certainly think that working with great people has been a success for me as well. I think I've, I've seen that as a really good, and you know, not not just helping yourself be successful. And I think. When, when I used to think money was kind of the focus of it, you actually find out quite quickly that money is just an output of success if, if that's what you're gunning for. And, and, and so it, it, could, it should just be one measure if that's the thing you're focusing on because you'll realise quite quickly it drops down the list of, of determining factors very quickly. But I think, I think doing the right thing is, is actually a really nice, successful thing. I think I can honestly say that, it, you know, that all the businesses that I've been involved in and run, you know, they've, been, they've been run in the right way. Um, you know, some work, some haven't, you know, we can't, there's no way that everything's been, everything's been, you know, tickety boo and everything's been fantastic. But I do think that, you know, if you, if you set off on the, on the journey to bring others with you, I think you have a much bigger, a much bigger heart at the end of it. I think a lot of people that do want to start businesses do have the idea that money is the measure of success. When, when did that moment change for you? Was there a particular moment you realized it or? I think it was just, again, a bit of a cliche release, like, like, it, it was it was when I sort of didn't have any of it at all. <laughs> when I was almost at my lowest ebb, which 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 we'll, we'll answer, I'm sure later about my journey of, of of how I became sort of got to where I am now. Um, and it kind of made you realise that the, the support network I had around me when I wasn't, you know, when it wasn't going so well, and you know, I nearly went bankrupt when I was about, I think, 26 was the age. And um, you know, I was very lucky to have good, some very supportive parents. You know, and, and, and I think around, no, but they had no money. So this wasn't about cash support to stop me going bankrupt. Although they kind of ended up remortgaging a house to get me out of a massive hole, which they couldn't afford to do. So it's kind of, but you realize the empathy that people have for people that are trying really hard. And I think there's always that, that, that thing where people, it's very easy for people on the outside to snipe on people that are trying, but very few people do actually try. And I think that credit should be given to the ones that, you know, that do and fail, made me never find that success, but at least at least they've given it a go in their own heart. And I think that, you know, and I think that kind of changed in that lowest point was actually let's figure out what it is. And, you know, working every hour that you can find is is one thing, but doing it, doing it sensibly, I also learned that working harder but not smarter isn't a good way to do it. You know, you have to, you, if you can combine the two and have a really good output, then I think that's a, I think that's something that you can really, you can really relish in and you know you've given it the best shot. You know, not everything works. And I think that's something that, Certainly, my takeaway from 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 being in business a long time is that you have to accept when when stuff isn't going well, and and if you can do that, then I think it's being an entrepreneur is is unbeatable. Were your parents entrepreneurs? No, 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 not so. My mum, although, so not in the not in the not in the uh, in the vice that to start their own business, but I, I certainly think they had, I think they certainly had sort of um, ambition and relentlessness and resilience in them that you need, I think, to be like an entrepreneur that can keep going, but. My dad drove. My dad worked in a, was a was a factory manager. Was you know was was a, drove for a truck for a long time. My mum started off as a dinner lady, who then ended up had, heading up the whole of the Reaper Graphics in a Bryan School for the whole of Waltham Forest, which is where we were born. So you can kind of see that the effort and the tenacity that they had to to work and you know had a couple of jobs apiece when we were younger. You know they they knew what they had to do and they was never shy of effort. You know my mum my mum you know worked her way up from like I said dinner lady to heading up the, the brow department of an entire borough. Shows determination, even if it's not even if it's not deemed as an entrepreneur, you can certainly see the the resilience that's required within someone to to get that. And then they wonder where I come from, and we sit there, and you're like, well, 
I've kind of got the best of both of you. So I kind of was quite lucky in that in that instance. Are you an only child? No, I've got an older sister who, who's who's, uh, who's who's lovely as well. She's she you know she has a you know, a job. She's got a family now, but you know didn't didn't go down the entrepreneurial path. But never tempted. No, I think that her loud her loud younger brother was too annoying for her to even embark on it. I think. <laughs> <laughs> but just got quickly etching out your timeline there. So you know you, you left university and sounds like you went straight into starting a business. If at twenty six you you had that that tough moment. Yeah, so I, I graduated in 2001, um, did a law degree, which still makes everyone laugh when it's taught to me. I can't work out why it's so funny, but and, and I've not used one bit of it. I think it actually my mum, my mum said to me once that you know you can't, you know you can't go too wrong with a law degree. You can, it doesn't close any doors. So that was kind of a nod there. I think I was one of the very few people in it from our entire family both sides to actually go to university. Um, but I, you know I loved it, and I, I would never complain about the experience I had. Um, I loved it. Got a great two one, you know. So the, the brain is in there somewhere, but. I was almost very good at remembering the answers, not necessarily being able to justify why that was the answer. Um, and um, and then I just had a, I just had a vision that I was going to be a lot more successful if I was on my own doing something that I could drive rather than work for someone else. I don't know, I can't quite explain that. I just always felt that working like for me in particular, like I like ideas and I like to get out of there. So having the boundaries above me to stop me and and the politics and stuff just just didn't really ever work for me. So. Yeah, I started a company straight out of university, went into a media company, um, got way too big for my boots, I guess, in a, in a weird way. You know, you kind of learn your lessons. We, we were doing good money. It was, a, it was an outdoor media company. It was doing fine. Overtraded naturally, which uh, I think we all do when we're that young because every penny that come in, we spent on the nights out or cars. Um, and then you realise actually that rainy day fund, there is such a need, there's such a thing. Rainy day came and, yeah, and we were kind of left holding a few contracts that left us exposed, a few overdrafts that we hadn't told anyone about. All, all personally guaranteed, obviously, because you could do that back in the back in them days. You could get a loan um, and personally guarantee anything, basically. Um, and then, yeah, there was a pinch point where the business we just kind of couldn't really trade on anymore. Um, and I remember calling my parents on, I think it was in 07, I called my parents and just said, uh, I've got some good news and some bad news, basically. It's not going as, it's not happening, but I've got, the bank have called their debt in and my mum's immediate response was, well, don't worry about it. We'll just remortgage the house and pay off. And it was quite a substantial amount of money. And because their their method and their thinking was, well, the half the house is yours anyway. The other half is your sister's. So why don't you just have it now? Save you that doing that. And then all I had to do was make a mortgage payment every month. Um, and that was basically that was basically it. Wow. I think um, we'll put links to your businesses and what you what you're doing in the bottom of this podcast. Um, whoever listens to it on Spotify, Apple Music or YouTube, but we'll put it in there. I also feel like we should perhaps do a little crowdfunding campaign for the most amazing parents in the world. <laughs> They're fine now. Listen, it all turned out well and I retired them very early. So oh, OK. So you, you, you looked I after them. See karma as well. That's... That, it's very funny. But <laughs> yeah, how, how did that happen? So, so we, so after that, all I had to do essentially was then provide the, the mortgage payment each month, which was, you know, substantial if you got nothing. But I didn't really want to go and get a job. I had some job offers and people. Again, I had a lot of support with people around me at my lowest part. You do find out who your friends are definitely when you're, you know, when you're at that lowest step. But and it was amazing. And parents, parents being who they are, and we, we set, I set about another journey to, to start another business and, and, and bounce back. And um, yeah, and then lo and behold, over over a period of time. We, I was I was um, brokering online inventory, so I had ad inventory online, effectively, like buying American IPs, which is a very strange business. But there was a lot of American ads on UK websites, so I was just buying up what you would call remnant and just saying, well, if you're advertising that, you're not getting enough money for it. So why don't I give you my, you know, why don't I just sell it into the agencies in London? 
and like no no idea what I was doing just kind of literally just figured a, a middleman would work and it did got some money out of that and then ironically I think there's a, a point in the conversation that we were going to have in a bit where you look for some good luck stuff if it's called the good luck club and I've done a lot of um, work on Facebook ad inventory um, and then I was very very lucky to 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 hear about the Facebook, Facebook had basically opened up their APIs to, to, for people to build on top of. And I was lucky enough to effectively meet a great engineer and have a great idea, get access to the closed system with their closed APIs and built the world's largest Facebook ads platform over the course of the next 18 months. Um, and then if you, and then the good luck, the really good luck part of that story is I sold that to a company called Buddy Media in the US um, for cash and stock. And then we sold that business six months later to Salesforce for about $800 million. So it was kind of a, 2012 was quite the, quite the year, and my and my oldest son arrived, so it was like the busiest year of all time. Um, but at the point of at the point of doing the deal in February, when I, it would enable me to retire my parents, it, we closed the lawyers out at about 4 a.m. and um, I remember calling out my mum and dad, and they obviously still live in our family home where I was brought up, where I moved back to at 30 as well, which is no shame in in going back to going back to save money at a, a point when you feel maybe you shouldn't, but it's a good thing to do. Um, and then my dad, my dad picked up the phone, hello, 6013, which was basically the last four numbers of the telephone number. So, which the only people, only like people with a telephone at home from certain parts of the country, still, just in case at 4am it's the wrong number, he reeled off the last four numbers. And, um, and I was like, I started laughing at that point. I may have had a couple of drinks at that point. So it was, it was getting late into the night, but then we closed the deal. And, and so I told them, you know, on my, I said to my dad on Monday, you can hand your notes. I'd set little funds up for them both to, or for them effectively to, to live off, knew what they lived off. And they lived off nothing. I mean, in fairness, they always had done, but had the best life ever. And and that's when you realise money isn't important because you know happiness isn't determined by that. But what was quite funny, so my dad then, my dad goes, oh, it's brilliant, son, thank you very much. Like, you're joking. Like, you. And then I said, put mum on, just put mum on. Said, Hello, darling, how did it go? And it was like, well, it went all right, actually. Like, you know, it didn't go too bad. And then... Uh, and I said, on Monday, you can hand your notice in. Like, you've got a month notice, so you're done, right? Like this. Day. She said, I can't do that. The kids have got their GCSEs in June. I was like, you've been moaning forever about your job. But she still had that heart to, like, want to stay. And she retired in, in the June of 2012 as well. So, yeah, it was, a, it was a story that had a great ending. Wow. That's a, that's a fantastic story. Did, when you told them you were going to go again, they remortgaged the house, there was never any, like, you know, let's sit down and have a chat with you, son. What are you doing? I think there was a. I think there was a. I think there was probably a reflection of are you insane? But like it was kind of. I mean, but not not because of the financial risk, just because of the stress that you put yourself under running a company. I mean, like, you know, it's not. It, it is something that takes. It's not something that people would. Like it's hard. I don't think people realise how stressful it can be unless you're in it. And then I think if you're in it and you're enjoying it, people can't work out why you're getting the buzz of that fear, the buzz of that stress. And I think it becomes a little bit addictive, if I'm honest. And, and then, you know, you've kind of made it. You can help your parents retire if they want, which they don't want, because you know, I think as an English person myself, my, my parents also moaned about their work, but actually in reality it was also their identity, right? So the yeah, ha- yeah. happiest lottery winners are the ones that actually stay in their jobs quite often, right? So, Absolutely. Uh, but, but so you've, you've, you've made it at that point. What happens next? So I had, a, I, luckily, to be honest, the, I think the best thing that happened at that point was my, my son was born. So it kind of, the world turned upside down in, in every way, not just financially. It kind of turned upside down from a responsibility perspective, from an individual growth perspective. So he was actually really fortunate that, you know, I think three weeks after closing the deal, my son was born. So there was no fast cars. There was no, you know, there was no sort of buying of silly toys. It was kind of like overpriced pushchairs, which we could finally afford, which are really expensive and quite like quite frighteningly expensive. 
Um, and and yeah, and then, and then to be honest, I, had, I was lucky again to have like about an eighteen month earnout left at Salesforce, at least an initial earnout. But I really enjoyed, I really enjoyed working there. I have to say, I never, I didn't, I did. Most people sort of do their earnouts and they complain a lot about how how they've kind of lost, like again, they lost the identity of owning the company. I actually thoroughly enjoyed the earnout. I got to learn from some of the greatest minds. I would put, you know, I was lucky enough to report high enough in that I got exposure to. To, to Mark Benioff, to other really big people there. And, and I, I chose it as a learning course, really, which I think is something that there's a humility that you have to have. And I'm, I think I'm lucky enough to have a little bit of humility where I kind of, when you realise, okay, you've done really well, but look at, look at what like, world changes are doing. You kind of have to acknowledge and, 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 and you can see that they're another breed again. Uh, you know, as all the success I can have, there is a different, there is another kickstart, another echelon of that world changer. And, and, and you should never beat yourself up for not being one. You should enjoy what you can achieve and know what you're very good at. And I think, you know, and, and enjoy and learn as much as you can. And I think that that period for me was a fantastic learning curve for two years. And then I thought I was going to just go and play golf and, and do nothing. And then after about a week, I got bored and started another couple of companies <laughs> as we do. And are you any good at golf? Yeah. Well, depends who I, it depends who you ask, but um I'm not too bad. I play off of a, a handicap of seven. I enjoy it. I like, you know, I love, but it's, it's one of them things that work is stressful. I find golf stressful. It's just a different stress because it's kind of so. Yeah, I think you had more than a week. Handicap seven, you, that's, uh, that's. Yeah, no, it came played- down dramatically. I, I, I had, yeah, I, I was investing actually. What actually happened in that period, I, I started to do invest, investments into like entrepreneurs and founders and startups. And I found it actually quite, I actually wasn't very good at it. I mean, it was kind of one of the things that you realise that there's professionals out there for a reason at that time. I don't think I'd learned enough about world business to be a good investor. I think I think that's changed now. I think I've learned in the last sort of six, seven years how how that mechanics work and how good businesses can be defined, what good due diligence means. At the time, you're kind of like, oh, that sounds like a nice idea. Here's some money. So I've learned a lot in that world, I think, in the last six years. But again, being willing to acknowledge that at the time probably wasn't, wasn't ready to learn that but I needed to learn it on the job almost and and um so a couple about a year into doing sort of just placing some investments I kind of realized actually at that point I think I I felt that I had another another company in me or another couple of companies in me to start rather than just to come as a passenger I I could be the driver and Aventus was bought out of one of those and did you did it just come to you the new idea or how how did how do your businesses evolve after that so the process is often around if, again, it goes back to the itch you can't scratch. It's kind of so. I was I was trying to buy home insurance for the first time ever because I finally was at home long enough to actually care about stuff at home, and that was kind of the irony of it. And I think I was in a banking app, and I clicked on um, I clicked on home insurance to get a price. And like, with, bearing in mind in them days, it took like and this was not, I say them days. It sounds like about twenty years ago, but you know, them days probably about three or four or five years ago. You needed like a, to log into your bank account. You needed to carry like a key card with you and. Still like that. To the sun HSBC is still like that, but anyway. Basically, that's exactly what a bank was. Anyway, so the FOB, or whatever you call it, you had you know, pin century and all these different things. So it took me about an hour to log in, and then it had the audacity to ask me my name in the quote process for an insurance product. It was like, well, what's happened there? And then you realise that basically it was a click link, and it took you out, and I couldn't understand why data wasn't being used. And having then learned a lot of Salesforce about the power of data, the power of CRM and the power of like a centralized customer view. Uh, it, it, I was just bemused at the fact that you asked me my relationship with the bank, even though, again, I've just come from them. So, and, and I just felt that there must be a gap in the market. I couldn't understand why that wouldn't do that. If it was possible, it would do it. And then you learn the reasons why the legacy systems and all the fun stuff doesn't work. And 
to be honest, for me, then you sit on that little journey of what can we build to change that? What could we do to enhance that? And then you can't get away from it. Every time you think about it, you can't, I think I could do something like that. And then everyone's suffering the same problem. And then you end up starting a company and off you try again. And then you're four years down the line, you're like, what happened there? <laughs> for, for the listeners out there that want to start a business, you know, what, what's your process for starting a business? It sounds like you identify a pain point for yourself. That makes total sense. And, and then what's the next step? I think a lot of it is qualifying that you're not alone um, in the pain point uh, for me. Because I think, and it depends what kind of company you want, right? If you're, if you want to start a restaurant, for instance, if, or you, and therefore you know that you know what good service means because you enjoy good service, well, then make sure that you you know enable good service with good food. Because some people will always say, you know, getting good food is one thing, but if the service is bad, then it kind of it kind of mars the food a little bit. Service can go a long way, so you can look at your skill set and sort of say, well, I'm quite good at that. I think for me, when I identify the problem, I do like because I know the value of technology in a in a company. I like the idea of them working out if it's a technology problem or if it's a customer service problem or just a structural problem. And then working out how, you know, you, you know, you said yourself, if you sell companies to, to the consultancy groups, there's so many great minds in there, so much thinking in there. I'm kind of very much a producty, let's solve a problem sort of person. I'm not a great strategic consultant, if that makes sense, but I can definitely identify a problem and then work out if there's a, if the problem's big enough to solve to make a company out of or whether or not it would just be something you would build because I mean we all know we all know the stories of the best products that never launch right or the best products that never get actual traction you need the ability to actually get someone to use it in order to prove its greatness but also you can spend too long perfecting the product before you actually find out if anyone cares about it or not and I think that market validation for me is something that I definitely I definitely overvalue now much more than I did before where you know, you want to understand, you want people to understand, you know, and, and also selling an idea to yourself is the easiest pitch in the world, right? Because you're kind of 70% convinced that you're right, but convincing the market is, is very difficult. So having reference points and, and, and a wider audience to talk to, and people always get really frightened about telling people their idea in case someone steals it. I mean, I've heard that a thousand times. I've signed NDA after NDA and they tell the idea, I was like, like that's a good idea, but I wouldn't like you, you're probably inhibiting who will who you can talk to because you're worried about them stealing it. And everyone's got no one steals ideas in in that kind of area because most people are too busy doing the job anyway. And and I think it's all about execution in the end anyway. So I think that you, people can people can very much limit their feedback on their business because they're frightened about talking about it. Which I think that you once you've had the failure that I had, I couldn't care less about talking about what I'm doing because if I can't do it, I can't do it, right? So you kind of have to get out your own way a little bit, I think, in that process. And then if you need external money, don't get caught up on how much of the, you know, don't sell don't sell it all, but, you know, don't worry too much about marginal percentage points at a negotiation where you could lose out on a, on a good investor or something like that. I think it's important to, to be mindful of what you started the business for or not what you can get out of it at the end. I, I totally concur. I think people do um, overvalue their idea and undervalue execution, right? If you, exactly. If you rang up HSBC and told them your idea, they, they, they probably had it, but they've got a legacy system. Oh, they've, they've sold the they rights. The problem. Yeah, lots of people don't realise that, by the way. A lot of people don't realise that people like HSBC, they sell the rights for home insurance to another insurer. Yeah, it's a, it and was an Aviva product. Yeah, yeah so it's basically an affiliate. So one of the original, yeah, the, the original just, affiliate. Like clicked out to the, to the website, not but, an app. But so many people don't realise that. They still think it's still branded as HSBC, that they're buying from HSBC, yep. right? So, so even if you rang them up and told them your idea, which was the future of that business, they wouldn't be able to do exactly. it. So, but, 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 but yeah, it's very interesting. And, and also, it's funny because we, we, 
when we tell them the problem we've identified, don't think for a second that they've not identified that problem themselves. No, they, know it, yeah. they just can't fix it. So it's yeah. perfect. It's like, that's even better for me because it's like, you know it's a problem and if we can help fix it, then great. But it also might not be a big enough problem. So it's, you know, the, it's the old code. You can get problem. way carried away with how great your idea is. Totally. I mean, it's, 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 these brands know their problems. They, you know, Kodak knew they should be digital. They invented the digital camera, but the switching and getting rid of your legacy business and just switching to yep. the new one isn't so easy. But um, but that's why they end up trying to buy businesses like yours later, right? That's... Yeah, exactly. I, 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 maybe I'm wrong, but um, and please tell me, um, you're, you're not a technical co-founder as such. You understand tech by the sounds of it, but you've come from a law training background. So so a lot of people out there listen, listening, I wonder, you know, they, they look they look to start a business that's technical, but they don't have a technical co-founder. How do you how do you navigate that? And what's your background around this? Yeah, so so from a technical perspective, look, and, and I think it's changed now, even from when I was when I was at university, I didn't have a phone, right? I didn't have a mobile phone until I graduated. So, you know, I didn't we've all got them now, right? So we all understand the value of technology, we all understand the value of what something should do, even if we don't know how it can do it. Um, and and then and it is about finding there's two ways to look at it actually. You know, I was lucky enough on the Facebook business on Brighter Options to, to have an amazing technical co-founder and a guy called Andy Craven, and and you know, and we we just we just work so well together, right? So you know, I'd come up with an idea, he'd take the idea and make it ten times better, which is a perfect way to be, right? But I think for me, there's not you know, if if you don't have a technical co-founder, there are companies out there. I sit on the board of a company called Ucreate where um, they are for technical non-founders, right? So sorry, non-technical founders. So if you if you've got an idea but you don't know how to build it. Well, then they can build you the prototypes quick. And the reason I love that business so much is because it, people are so frightened that technology is really difficult to build. So therefore, they don't really embark on their idea. I mean, how many pubs have you, I mean, not recently, obviously, but how many pubs have you sat in where your mates have gone, got, might have got the best stuff here ever? It's, I don't, and they're like, and you can see them thinking, but I, never, I don't know how to do it. And you're like, well, it's not actually as hard as people think it is. You just need to be able to explain it, your idea better. And then other people can always build it. And again, it's that sharing of the concept or the idea. I mean, everyone's had, I've got a couple of mates, like, they, you know, they had the idea for Uber. I mean, like, yeah, but that doesn't really matter. <laughs> like, it doesn't matter if you had the idea 15 times or 20 times before it happened. If you didn't do it or execute it, it doesn't really matter. So I think there's a, there are companies out there that will help you do that, the, the technology you build and scoping. And I think that's a valuable, a valuable way to look at it as well. I would like to share that link. What's the name of the company you're talking about there? Uh, you Create. So you create. it's a U and then Create, yeah. Yeah, great. Well, we'll put that link again in the podcast notes for people because I think that sort of service is really valuable. Totally agree. A lot of people, that's exactly what I'm trying to talk about. They have an idea, but they don't have a technical co-founder or technical person to support them to make it happen. And then when they don't know technology, it's this incredibly difficult, mysterious thing. It's fear. It's fear. Yeah, and then and then the ideas don't happen to your to your point. But so for this new business, how did how did you put the team together? How did you think about it? So initially, initially I set it up with, with uh, Andrew, Andy as well, um, and then he's helped. He helped me build the team out, uh, the technical team. Um, and yeah, I mean, he, you know, he he moved on about a year ago. Um, he kind of wanted to go do some other stuff again because that's that's why I like businesses. You can, you don't have to do everything to, with the same people, but you know, you can always help each other. And I think businesses, businesses, I think that's why I like business. It does create that kind of team effort as well. That you can do. And then you know, I had some people that were at Salesforce with me. I had some other people that were. Facebook company with me before and then we found some really great people as well that I didn't know before this business which I think is you know testament to the ever-evolving opportunity you know if you stick just into the groups that you know then you're kind of limited by the knowledge in that group and you know we've got some amazing tech um, some amazing engineers amazing engineering leadership we've got some amazing customer care people we've got like I don't know it's just every time it's almost like collecting 
stuff as you go along. If you just keep using the same different pe- same people, you can't, you know, and then you get someone from the outside who, who has a fresh pair of eyes on something. I think that is a healthy way to do stuff. And yeah, I'm really pleased with the, the team that we've got now. They're, I mean, their output is unreal and they've, they've, with COVID and everything that's happened on lockdown, it's been a, it's been a it's been a real um, eye opener to how how strong the team actually are mentally, as much as as much as like putting it out there because it's not it's not easy, right? I think if you look at if you look at the Zoom call, you know you look at the fatigue of sitting on video calls now. At the start, it was like, oh, this is brilliant. I might just do this for the rest of the time. Now you're like, can we meet the park? Like, just please, just you know, and 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 I think that they've, they've they've knuckled down, and we've been delivering projects, we've been signing customers in lockdown. So I think it's testament to them. Certainly not me. It's just, you know, I can kind of steer the ship, but it still needs to be it still needs to be delivered, which I think is, has been really impressive in lockdown. Yeah, I think that's a good point. I mean, like you say about Zoom, mind you, I'm scared to even say anything bad about them because it will start going wrong, and the podcast sound will suddenly be wrong, and they'll, they'll know. So let's just be positive about Zoom. <laughs> But I think going back, what you said earlier links to this in my mind. When you're saying about the success piece being doing the right thing, I think part of it, part of the learning I want the listeners to pick up on and what you're saying there as well is that if you do the right thing early on, business may fail, business might succeed, but you'll bring a crew with you that can help you in yep. future projects. So, you know, treating people right in those early days, and like you're saying about Andy, you and Andy worked well together. Yes, he then joined you in the next venture, and then when he was ready to move on to his next venture, I'm sure you helped him. And it's that kind of whole yep. process, you know, that you're building up, that, you know, it's not all about instant success and, and building up that, that team. And then, of course, like you're saying, the, ne- the new blood coming through and the yeah. ne- next generation of, of talent. So, yeah, but you, you, you didn't ever think that you were, um, you needed to go to coding school and, and those sorts of things? To be fair, I've never really been very good at languages or directions, right? So my assumption is that they're connected because like, I'm pretty good. I'm not, you know, I'm fairly smart at things and I can solve problems. But things like, like <laughs> this is a bit timely, actually. So my, my oldest boy's got a Rubik's Cube. I can't, like, I can't get it. I just don't get it. I can't, I can't find the pattern. And, I, and therefore, I kind of have to just accept that I can't find the pattern. So I'm assuming coding is patterns. So I'm just not bothered. Well, you could just do what I used to do, which is just pull it apart and put it back together. Because you yeah, get that's so... what take the stickers off, right? That's exactly, take the stickers off. They hack it. You basically hack the way yeah. to do it, right? Does every brain every brain works differently? So that takes yeah, me nice. And I think that. No, oh, go ahead. Something go to know. If you know it, right? If you know you're not capable, then you're good at. Oh, look, we've all got our skills, and and yeah, I don't think languages and directions. I'm I'm like the most. Yeah, directionally inept human being I've ever met. And I just assume it's patterns. Did you always know that about yourself? Or did you, in the early years of your career, think, well, I better learn accounts, for example, because I don't know it and I should be better at it? Or did you just accept you didn't and, and outsource it? Just accept I'd get someone to do it for me, to be honest. Yeah, but I think a lot of people don't. There's a learning there. No. I, think, I think a lot of people misunderstand yeah. that they think that they're weak areas, so they try to get better at them. Um, but in yeah. reality, the best way is just let people that are good at that do that, right? And bet stronger at your. I mean, I know what my skill set is, right? And, it, and it's not an easy one to. It's not an easy one to kind of convey, right? It's not something you can say. I'm a really good mathematician. I'm a really good. You know, I'm. A, I'm a. Yeah, by definition, a networker, right? You know, I like. Uh, and 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 by getting people together, the right people together, and and getting them to work cohesively is a skill. I'm happy with that because it means I can get the best people with all the best talents together, rather than me have to feel sorry for myself or beat myself up because I can't do a certain thing. Well. Why would I want to be doing that anyway? I think someone else should be delivering that. And I think, and also that's how you build team. The, the, the mistakes I've seen is when people think they can do everything and they can't. That that is that becomes an error because your opinion becomes so blinkered by your own kind of inability or, or your lack of sight to see your inability. You don't bring the right people in. I can do that. It's fine. 
when actually you just neglect it and, and put it to the back of the pile rather than have someone that's really skilled at operations, really skilled at scaling, really skilled at this, have them do it because that's how you win as a leader because they make the cliche of get higher, better, higher people around you that are better at things. It's a cliche for a reason because it's true. And, and I think as soon as you acknowledge that and you can kind of get out your own way, I mean, I, I, Salesforce is a good example. Right? When I went to Salesforce, we, um, I was given like a COO at that point. So we were kind of, we, were un, we didn't raise VC money when we'd sold our business. So we kind of like were scrabbling around and we were all doing a little bit of job here, a little bit of job there. Um, and then they put an operating officer into my business, right? a gentleman called Jonathan Hunt. And, and, and he's remained a great friend since. Well, I had to say to him like two days in, like, you got to slow down a little bit. Like you've just solved 20 problems that I've been saying I'm, I'm working on for like the last six months with the team, like whether it's like KPI setting or, you know, um, remuneration targets. It literally, within about four days, we went ding, ding, ding. And I was like, right, we're going to have to drip feed these in because like, this is good. like you're amazing, but you're going to make me look really bad. There are limits now. And, and you just realise that people are just really good at certain things and let them be great at it. Why try and, why try and take the glory for someone that's great at something by you being bad at it? I completely agree. I had the same feeling when PwC bought my business and they just came in and like suddenly it was opened up in 50 markets, something I'd been planning on doing for a decade <laughs> and suddenly they'd made it happen. Exactly. So, you know, I, I guess entrepreneurs are good at that zero to one piece. You've also got to know where your strengths are. Right? Back, exactly. Back to, that, back to that point. And also it's like if you're a football manager, right? Like I always, I don't know why I always have this analogy. So I know I'm, what I'm good at is getting stuff started, identifying opportunities and then pushing, you know, getting people to, to do it. Right. And, um, but, you know, if you look at, like, a, a manager in, in the championship, if his biggest skill was getting them into the Premier League, every time he gets a team into the Premier League, he should just go back to the championship and bring the next one up. Because he'd make a fortune out of that, right? Because, because like, just no way. You're not going to win the Premier League with that team. And you're never going to get a job at the top four. So just keep going back down and bringing them back up. Like, and that's kind of, once you know that's what you're really good at, you can actually, you can do more with it because you're kind of content with it, if that makes sense. I guess ego gets in the way, doesn't it? People, yeah, when, when they get into the Premier League, they're like, I'm a Premier League manager now. I'm going to win it. Yeah, relegated back in. But when, when you were, so when you were talking about that cycle, so you, you, know, you, you, get, you get inside the Salesforce ecosystem, you're on an 18-month earnout. you love it there. Why did you leave? Because it, in the end, it became kind of one of the things where I could kind of see, again, going back to the, the reason I started company in the first place, was that I kind of, I, I, I thought I'd serve my worth there a little bit. Like, kind of, my business was fully integrated everywhere. And, and, I, and I kind of, to be honest, I've been running at a thousand mile an hour for what can I be described as, you know, since, since, to be fair, since 20. So I've been literally working seven days you know, a week for a long time. And because we'd had little and you kind of then realise again, you go back to thinking, actually, I've got the, I've, I was financially secure enough to decide what I wanted to do. We had another little one on the way. And, and, and I kind of, I traveled the world and, and stuff when the first one was born. And, and on the second one, I just thought it'd be nice to have a bit of, bit of time at home. And, and, but then again, you know, you, you realize you're at, it's not just about ambition fiscally, just like your ambition to keep going actually can't necessarily be tempered. So you just have to find different ways of using it. I know a lot of my listeners um, are people that want to start a business but have a family already and they feel very responsible for, for that and can't take the risk. Any, any words of wisdom around that? I mean, how do you balance your busy life with you know, family life? It's hard. I mean, that's kind of why when people say, like, well, I can't believe you started a business so young. It was like, well, I had, nothing, I had no responsibilities. So it's actually much easier to start a business at 20 than it is at 35. But I think it's just about passion. You only get 
again, cheesy, you get one throw at this, right? You get one throw at this life. If you're not enjoying, if you're enjoying your job, why wouldn't you do your job? Like, if you're, like to your point about Salesforce, I just felt there was going to be something else for me to do in that period. And if I ever end up back at a big organization after exiting again, then maybe the outcome might be different next time. I might stay for longer because you kind of learn, you change and you evolve. But I think it is hard, but then you've also got a long time to be working. If you're working till 65 and you're 30, you've got another 35 years of doing the same thing. I think the risk is one thing, but the risk of not doing it, I think, mentally and just and just because otherwise you'll talk, you'll just keep talking about it and never do it. And I think that if you can, uh, some people, it depends what kind of business is it. Again, if you're if it's a business that needs your undivided attention to make it work, which I think most companies do in terms of you know once you get when you get them started, they need a lot of focus then you have to find a way of balancing that. And I think so some people I've met have built enormous companies having a great work-life balance. Some people have built enormous companies having no work-life balance, right? And I think that you just have to keep checking yourself. It comes down to your, your, if you've got a family, your partner and your family sort of, you know, thing. I've always been like I have been, so it was kind of known that that's how I would be. But, you know, I think I think that's an honest conversation with your with your with your better half and see 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 what comes out of it. But I also think that you're never gonna have any regrets doing it because you can always go back. In my opinion, that's kind of how my mind works. If 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 it doesn't work, if you're working at a company, a large organisation, and you're good at your job, I hate it. And then you, and you leave and and it doesn't work. Well, then if you're good at your job, then you always you, you know then there's a chance you can go back and do it. So I think the risk does diminish. But also, there is a risk, right? And that's that's kind of, I guess, the difference between doing it and not. I think the partner point is very important. I know myself, I wouldn't be successful today if it wasn't for my partner. I think that's the most Agreed. important deal you could ever do. How, how, how does the dynamic work for you in that regard? So it was quite, it was actually, again, so luckily Sarah met me at my lowest point. So when I had nothing, no money, no nothing. So it was kind of a good, it was a good introduction into the world of stupidity that she ended into in terms of, don't worry, it's going to be fine. It's like, but you owe, we're never going to, I think I said on our fourth date, we're never going to buy a house because I owe my mum and dad about, you know, loads of money and therefore I've got to do that first. And then once I've done that, then we can, and I remember looking at, she was looking at me kind of thinking, oh, is, he, is he joking? <laughs> it was like, and then, you know, but the more she got to know me, the, her belief in me grew again. So therefore, you know, you get the chance and, you know, and, and her support, you know, she had a great job. You know, she was a marketing director of a big company and, and she kept me basically for, for a year. All I had to do was pay the mortgage. So I, I was trying to make little bits of money to do that. But then, you know, I, I didn't pay any rent in the flat. We were, you know, we, we rented and stuff like that initially. And then obviously, again, it was that kind of partnership approach. And then, you know, when when we had uh, Joshua, our eldest, you know, Sarah, Sarah was lucky enough to give up work. And, and therefore, you know, she's, she's, she runs runs the home, which is, uh, to be brutally honest, I find harder than actually running a company. But We'll get to another point. It's really stressful running at home. I couldn't do that. Oh, I know. Working from home is not easy for anyone. But it, I think you're telling literally the story of kissing a frog there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, yeah, but she, she's waiting for it to turn into a prince. Oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. Sounds like the life's all right. But I, I, I've, um, I've gone off track. I normally ask this question early on, but I, I think you've answered it for me. But I just want to hear it clear from you. Do you think entrepreneurs are born or bred? See, I think it's interesting because I, I kind of... When I'm asked that, I don't think it's a clear-cut answer. I think I think you need I think you need certain attributes in you to even think about it. But I think I think you can learn. I think you can be nurtured. But I do think you need the certain attributes in you, and that doesn't necessarily mean, you know. I think you need you need resilience, you need relentlessness. I think if you've got those two things, I think then you've got every chance of being an entrepreneur. But I don't think it necessarily makes you an entrepreneur. Yeah, I guess I, I'm I'm of the belief everyone's born at zero, right? So. 
They, yeah. they, we are tra- no one's everyone's trained to do something um but your children do you do you see the entrepreneurial spirit in them or, or? i see some good negotiations on pocket money and sweets to be fair so i'm assuming there's got to be saying in there but do you know what it's too hard right like because you know when you hear the stories of oh you know i was making lemonade and selling it out of front when i was or cleaning i was never doing any of that i was lazy like i had no interest in doing any of that until i sort of left uni so i don't again i think everyone finds their different path to, to their ambition um I just want to, the, the thing for the kids, in all honesty, it's a very different upbringing, like it's a very different financial upbringing now. So it's how you make that balance of, of want and desire versus expectation and, and kind of, um, what do you call it, entitlement, which is which is the tough bit. Um, but I think we've got a good balance here. We make, you know, they don't get nothing for nothing. And, and you know, the fact that the, little, the younger one always asks what he can do to get more kind of says there's something in there. But he also waits downstairs on a Sunday with his hand out, tapping it, where's my pocket money? Don't forget I did this on Tuesday, I did that on Wednesday. Like, yeah, fair enough. So he might be an accountant, mate, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Do you think um, do you think luck plays a role? I mean, I, I, I know we touched on it a little bit earlier, but I'm, I'm just interested in your view on luck. I think, I think timing is everything in, in certain things. And I think... You can't always plan that, so there has to be some element of luck involved in, in in that. But luck inherently, I think, does come from a lot of hard work. I think that I think there's, you know, the going going back to the golf. I think it was Gary Player. You know, the lucky the, the harder I try, the luckier I get, right? I think, and, and I think that that does resonate for me in, in business. You know, not shutting yourself off does create opportunity, and then people might, keep, you know, people always look back, and I've I've got I've had a conversation with people. Oh, you've been lucky, haven't you? It's like, are you joking? Like, do you remember in 2007 when I like moved back home at the age of 30? Do you remember that? Like, no one seems to remember that. Like, all you see now is now. You don't see then. And so, you know, you can talk about luck all you want, but at one point, I wanted your life, right? Like, I wanted your job. So, like, you know, and, and, and so I think, I, think, I, think, I think hard work does create opportunity. And if opportunity is luck, then, then, then yes. I think it's easier to bad blame luck. Uh, sorry, it's easier to blame bad luck than, than attribute anything to good luck. Um, but again, it's the same difference, right? If the timing is not right, doesn't matter what product you built or business you built, it's not right. But if you, you know, I think if you try hard enough and you push hard enough, you, there's nothing anyone can't achieve, in my opinion. And opportunity does, you do need opportunities, and that's maybe could be coincided with luck. But yeah. Do you think your education helped you? Or do you think that, you know, as, as I believe, um, that education sometimes can hinder you and, and load you with debt, for example, and stop you doing what you want? But how, how do you feel about that? Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I think I think not everyone's destined to, not everyone should be judged on a, on a grade on a paper. I think it's me insane in fairness. I think I was I was lucky because I was quite good at exams. Like I could sit in a room and I, I never really panicked. I could just get it out. I never got an A in my life though. So, you know, it's not, you know, I don't think that that, that wasn't the, the judgment on my life moving forward. Whether I never, I never worried about not getting an A. My parents never worried about me not getting an A. It was all, but having that empathy, that personality that can get you out there and networks, I think is. I, th- I actually think emotional intelligence is going to should be graded. And if you can grade emotional intelligence, then you wouldn't worry as much about school. As, as education is important to set boundaries and learn and create the ability to learn. But then I think you can learn a lot more. You know, some of my some of my most successful friends left school at sixteen, you know, and went on to become massive, you know, sort of big people in the city. And I, I think that you know that, that wasn't about education; that was about getting out there, learning on the job, right? And I think that I think people can put way too much pressure on themselves to get grades when grades. I mean, crikey, when was the last time I ever like? When was the last time anyone asked me what I got in geography at, at GCC? Like, no one ever. 
What did you get maths, Pete? I don't, I don't walk into a meeting. I've never walked into a meeting and someone's asked me what A-level I did. <laughs> so it's like, I, just, I think that there's just too much fear around it. But I think it's a good place for people to learn processes of learning. But then I, I think if you've got a chance to go into an industry you're really passionate about or start a business that you're really passionate about, I don't think I don't think it's for everyone is, is what I would say. And, and when you're employing people, I mean, there must be some technical jobs there too. I mean, I guess then education becomes a little bit more relevant. Yeah, but I mean, a lot of the people that you would employ, like from a like coding perspective or an engineering perspective, you don't really ask them what they studied. You just get them to do stuff, right? So you can see their capabilities because the capabilities of an individual aren't determined by a grade or, or a school they went to. Right? I think, you know, certain jobs, and we know, you know, if you want to be a doctor, you can't, you probably have to go and learn about it, right? You can't suddenly become a dentist because that's what you want to do. You have to do the, the, the rigmarole of learning in order to deliver that because that would be quite scary. I think things. some people have done yeah, that, though. They just decided Yeah, I mean, I've, I've had a couple of teeth pulled, yeah. I think he was an apprentice sparky and then decided, no, he actually figured he'd be better as a dentist. But, but I think... But I think that that's important is that, you know, certain roles need qualifications because they need qualifications. But other things, you can just be really good at stuff and not need it. Like, you know, determine, you don't learn to sell stuff. You don't learn that. You don't learn to be empathetic to customers. That you, you learn, you're told that this is what you should do, but you, but you really learn that on the, on the job. Well, I could uh, talk to you all day. I absolutely love your insights and stories i feel like i'm i'm listening to a reflection of myself but a more successful <laughs> version so i'm 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 enjoying the conversation but i know our podcast uh, guests they they have to uh, our hosts and guests and and customers listening have to uh, get on with their day so I, i'll end the podcast with asking this kind of light-hearted question i guess if you went back to your younger self and gave some advice what would it be enjoy your hair while it lasts um and then secondly yeah don't <laughs> And then, to be fair, I think I think in all in all seriousness, I think the, the best one would be be patient. Like I was so so eager to be successful, so eager to have it all that you know. With a few a few less rash decisions, I think you probably would get there quicker than 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 trying to rush it through. So being patient is definitely something that I've learned to be a little bit better at. And for anyone listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts, <laughs> I'm and so bored. On, yeah, yes, exactly. <laughs> Peter, Peter is without hair. Um, yeah, and this is not, yeah, it's not a lockdown decision, unfortunately. This is a genetic problem. Uh, to be honest, right now during lockdown, I, I, I wish I didn't have hair. It's a right pain and I'm <laughs> not going to let my wife cut it. There's just no way. <laughs> well, I, I want to thank you. I'm going to sum up uh, some of the things that I've taken from your insights today. And I'd actually like to formally invite you back maybe as a co-host one time or, or to uh, share mm. a little bit deeper around the business build uh, piece that I think people would find I'd love very that, interesting. Yeah. yeah, but I appreciate your time. Let me just sum up what I've taken Um you, you, definitely doing the right thing. I, I, I really love that sentiment. I don't think in business it's said enough and I, and I absolutely agree with it. But I think just keeping that in mind, no matter what you're doing, decisions you're making, do the right thing. It will pay off in the end, even if there are some short-term losses. Um, and, and I think solving problems and building something over time as well, which links to what you just said there about being patient. But you said it at the beginning, the middle and the end of this podcast. And I think it's important for people to be patient. And, and, and that is a real asset if you can learn to enjoy the, enjoy the journey, whatever yeah. step that is, and, and not rush for the finish line because it's actually the journey that's the uh, important bit. You, you, you mentioned um, you know, harder, working harder, not smart is not true. Uh, and, I, and I think there's an element there like working harder, um, not is, is, is sometimes a misunderstanding. And you, you mentioned earlier that people basically saying um, of 
the harder you work, the luckier you get. And I think that's true to a certain point, absolutely. But I think sometimes people also overwork, right? So I, I just want people yeah. to understand that there's a smart element. It's working smart as well yeah, as working hard. And I think... Yeah, I think, I think you have to work... Yeah, harder is not the output. Smarter is the output, right? Whatever right. that, whatever that looks like. And you do, get, you do get luckier if you work, if you're doing... If you're putting all your efforts in in a smart way, then naturally more opportunity will appear anyway. Yeah, totally. And I, I, I like the uh, enjoy the earn out. I think a lot of people would like to get to that point. But I kind Loved of, it. you know, so, sometimes people think the earn out is the end. But I think that's actually really interesting for someone that's been through the whole process to kind of remind people that, you know, selling the business is not the end. That's just the beginning of the end, maybe for the first stage. I think market yeah. validation is also overlooked. And I can even talk for myself from experience. Sometimes, I, I, you know, you're so bullheaded about your idea. You don't take the time to market validate it. You kind of do the Steve Jobs formula, which is, oh, they don't know what they want. So I'm going to, yeah. you know, the Henry Ford, like if I asked my customers what they want, they would have said a faster horse. So people just plow ahead and, and give people <laughs> a speedboat when they actually wanted a car. But, um, but I, I, I think the whole idea around grading emotional intelligence is also really interesting. I actually think yeah. that's something uh, we could go into and explore a little bit more and uh, maybe stay in the appropriate league for you. So that that's uh, my quick sum up. Anyone listening to the end, because sometimes people skip to the end, you have to go through the whole podcast to actually get context <laughs> for all those points. But th- that's what I've taken away. And I want to thank you so much for giving your time today, Peter. Pleasure. That was really lovely. Thank you for having me. Wonderful. We'll see you again. See ya. Ciao. Thank you for listening to the Good Luck Club podcast. We know you have thousands of podcasts you could be listening to and you've chosen us. We, of course, feel lucky. If you want to hear more, please go to thegoodluckpod.com or go to any of our social media pages and share with us your views, your insights and any way that we can improve what we're doing to make it a better experience for you. We wish you the best of luck.